Hello everybody, this is just going to be my brief introduction to what is actually going to be um, a very long conversation uh, that I just participated in with Johnny Walker Dredd and um, Paul from Logical Checkmate, uh, two great channels for content specifically for those of you who follow my channel because of Kyle Rittenhouse content. Uh, they both do a lot of great videos on that topic and similar topics. Um, so we decided to do a collaborative conversation and this is part one of I think it's going to be three parts by the time I'm done dividing it. Um, you know, please check out their channels. Uh, I'm going to put the links in the description. Um, if you're listening to this as a podcast, I will still be putting the links to their YouTube channels in the description for the podcast. Um, so we discussed a lot of things, um, not just Kyle Rittenhouse, but Black Lives Matter, Antifa, racism, you know, just the current events, essentially the current state of things. Um, Johnny Walker uh, does some great videos um, from the American perspective and um, Logical Checkmate, you know, Paul actually does videos, um, you know, and he's from Europe. So it provides a, an interesting perspective on the outside perception of what's going on in our country. So um, these are going to be uh, basically close to an hour segments each. Um, I hope you enjoy them. And again, please check out their channels, especially you know, those of you who've been hungering for all things Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, they both uh, do a great job of presenting those issues. And to be honest with you, their production value for video is actually better than mine. I, you know, it was notoriously historically a, a podcaster who's just now kind of learning how to do video. So um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And um, please uh, share my videos. Uh, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, the YouTube algorithm doesn't like me. And it's going to come down to that. If we're going to get anything out of this, you know, um, as far as like being able to spread the word of this information, it's really going to come down to you guys sharing it. Um, we're not going to be able to expect the mainstream media to do this, um, you know, with any kind of fairness. And the, um, the algorithms for pretty much all the social media have been cracking down on a lot of different independent journalists lately. Um, Jimmy Dore, uh, Secular Talk, all these channels are reporting that they think they have like in many cases hundreds of thousands of subscribers yet are for some reason getting views that does that does just not correspond to that so um, like subscribe ring the bell and i would advise you to do the same for johnny walker and for logical checkmate thanks again all right uh, uh paul do you want to go ahead and start us off by doing an introduction here i think for the uh, listeners Hey, uh, cheers. My name is Paul. I'm from the channel Logical Checkmate I'm from Czech Republic. So there's a wee bit of a pun in that. And uh, I'm quite interested in the Kyle Rittenhouse saga for many reasons. Uh, basically, how I got into that is because my passion is self-defense. Not only passion, but just, you know, fascination, let's say. And I've seen the footage. Our friend basically sent it to me and was like, hey, check these idiots chasing this kid with AR-15. What do you think will happen? Well, yeah, what was uh, expected happened. And then, okay, yeah, sure, you know, classic self-defense. And then I found out that he is being charged. And I was like, okay, what is going on here? Looked into it more and, oh boy, it's a very interesting story. You know, I had a question for you before we go a little bit further, but... Is this really surprising coming from the Czech Republic that, that things were different here in the way people interacted with this whole thing or? Uh, on what level do you mean now? Well, I mean, you know, like, do you see this thing happening in the Czech Republic? 
There's the whole uh, thing with, that with he would be charged because we have some insane prosecutors. Yes, absolutely. But that the whole nation would basically condemn him, or there would be such a split when the, it is documented from start to finish. No way. No way. Okay, okay. Uh, Neil, how about you? Hi, um, I'm Neil Kiernan, host of V Radio. Um, as far as like my specific background, I've been broadcasting on and off since 2008. Um, and uh, as far as like Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, I started a, prog a project because I initially assumed that he probably was some kind of crazy mass shooter. And then upon spending two weeks of eight to 12 hour days, literally hurting myself from sitting in my chair too much, um, going over footage, I came to the conclusion that nope, that's absolutely not the case. Um, and I made a video called uh, The Kyle Rittenhouse Incident, a documentary. Um, you guys can find it on my channel. Uh, it's about an hour long. Unfortunately, there were some sound problems, but you should still be able to listen to it. There'll just be some parts that are louder than others. Um, and uh, normally my background was podcasting, not video. So I'm still kind of mastering video editing. Um, but anyway, um, what I basically, what motivated me to get back into this journalism stuff was because I'm just seeing so much disinformation take root. And I'm watching a lot of people who I used to feel were very critically thinking, like it's like their brains are turning to mush. And it's worse for me because I'm a leftist. I voted for Bernie Sanders. I was part of the Occupy movement. And I'm watching this stuff unfold and, and people, you know, who would be on my side probably about everything else uh, do not agree with me about this. And more specifically, they're utterly resistant to evidence that disproves their feelings on the issue. And I put feelings in quotes because we're now to the point where this is just an emotional tribal fight and the truth of the situation is lost. And, you know, at this point, I have cared far less about the size of my audience, but I can tell you that the the audience for left-leaning people who think Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent is pretty small. <laughs> so anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, I my sentiments exactly. Uh, okay, so of Johnny Walker Dread, I have a channel on YouTube that's probably like 90% Kyle Rittenhouse, and I've got probably well over 100 videos on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah Paul's like, going, I can't believe every time you turn around, there's three or four more videos. But there's no endless, there's no end to the uh, stuff that you could talk about in this case. I mean, right. I mentioned to you, uh, to Neil earlier, I have 35 videos on the Dumb Argument series, and I could do another 30. No Easily. Problem. Yeah. Easily. So, my first interaction with this whole thing came about i'm really a kind of a coward when it comes to news that i feel is kind of like uh really bad so i'll stay away from something i heard white supremacist in kenosha opens fire on protesters and i'm like oh no but keep in mind i'm i come out on more on the right hand side of the political spectrum sure okay and i'm a i'm a big gun owner uh, i you know, concealed carry i'm all second amendment and all i needed was to have some nut open fire on protesters and i got pretty angry at the dude like i was like what a jackass what the hell is he doing we can't be doing this kind of stuff and so and it was you know for a few days you know i kind of stayed steered away from the whole thing i didn't want to get involved you know but um i then came across a discussion by uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with rick gore on uh, Good Luck America. He's got a YouTube channel. He's a former cop. He's very, I wouldn't say very, but he's anti-government. 
Uh, his view of it, even though he was a police officer, is that the police are out of control. Um, but he does very good breakdowns of, of like the how, what what should a cop do in this kind of situation, right? And he picked up the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, and and I was listening to it for this other thing, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, the the, the guy who opened fire. And as he walked through, I'm thinking, wait, I got this all wrong. This is this is not what happened at all, right? And then, so I didn't have a, a, a sort of a sea change in my attitude towards the thing, but I did. I still didn't get involved in it at all. And then it, when I found out that he had gone to the uh, the police station and thrown up in the garbage can, and I'm thinking, this is just a young kid. Yep. I mean, I can't imagine what's happening to this guy. I decided, you know what, I'm going to pick up the mantle. So I sort of like oriented my YouTube channel around all things Kyle Rittenhouse at that point. And I'm an advocate. I mean, I, I make no bones about it. I try to be as fair as I can because I ultimately think that burying the, the truth doesn't do you any good because it's going to come out. So if there's some unpleasant truth that comes surfaces, why not just go ahead and acknowledge it and discuss it? Because if it comes out during the trial, then you get catches you by kind of by surprise. Luckily, there hasn't been much. I think the only thing that kind of an unpleasant truth that came out, although it was badly exaggerated, was the whole Pudgies thing. And, you know, it, and I understand now how that could happen. But at the time, I thought that he was being pretty irresponsible. But, you know, I, I kind of now have a different view on it. But for a while there, I was kind of mad at him. <laughs> well, you know, is it specifically because he was seen with allegedly seen with Proud Boys, or is it something specific about Pudgies itself? No, I think it was it was sort of the Proud Boys and just simply not being more aware of the optics of what could go wrong. And I was pretty upset, but then I was thinking, wait, 17, he weighs about 140 pounds. He's had three beers down him. Yeah, I, I, can, I can fully understand how he could have been led into doing the whole hand symbol thing by guys he doesn't even know them and there and i'm no doubt that they basically said hey do this for us and he you know he's had a few beers he he's wanting he does crave attention i mean well I yeah i mean i think everybody did at that age you know but um i want to comment a little bit about this and then i'll totally back up and is that okay paul if i go real quick yeah i promise <laughs> um one of the things that bothers me in studying that these groups, okay, these amorphous groups. And I say amorphous because there's huge groups of people that come from different levels of radicalization on both the right and the left. Um, I haven't seen any membership cards for the Proud Boys at Pudgies. You know, right. um, there's a lot of assumptions going into that. The, the OK symbol is the white power symbol is literally a prank set up by 4chan for the purpose of demonstrating just how gullible the anti-racism people are, and rather than understanding that they the joke was played on them, they embraced it. And even when it was revealed that the OK symbol is not a white supremacist symbol, that somebody did that specifically to prove how stupid you are, they didn't back off. They doubled down and said, well, it is now. Now, I've heard that apparently some white supremacist groups are literally doing it now, In you know, but it, regardless, you know, there's people say okay it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they mean i just um and so anyway i guess I what i'm getting at is that i'm on the left and i still looked at that and went how do you know these guys are proud boys 
how you know this isn't evidence of anything like when i can give them evidence of blm protesters doing something i get told that that's white supremacists doing it with no evidence you know and antifa and blm are also amorphous groups that you can't pin down on anything they do well can you prove that that person was really antifa you know, that's part of the design of Antifa is to wear black masks and conceal your identity so that you can just easily say, well, it wasn't really one of us, you know. Right. So anyway, I want to back off and let Paul go. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, just um, when it comes to the Pachisinal incident, I think there's a possibility it was uh, on purpose from Kyle's side or from his defense team because where most of his funds come from, you know, like the donations and stuff like that, to be honest, it comes from uh, basically American, you know, like a right wing uh, people who probably quite enjoy to, in air quotes, tri trigger the lips. So when he I think went they were there, with, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to a point, but uh, basically he got a lot of attention from the media, and that basically that is a. Uh, uh, Free publicity, you know what I mean? Free, free advertisement, basically. Hey, you know, like, look at me. I am, you know, like the guy that defended himself. I am, you know, and look what the media, how they call me, how they demonize me, etc., etc. It's a great thing, you know, like, hey, by the way, here, donate here. Kind of that. that, that That's that completely reasonable. Thing. Yeah. Because in the end, in the end, it's his life uh, on the line. So I don't blame him if that would be the case to do that. We can then argue if it's worth it with the optics otherwise. But ultimately, I, I cannot blame him for that. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, I have sort of reversed my uh, view on it as I learned more and more about what was going on there. And and mm -hmm. I actually did also uh, an investigation of the whole peace simple thing. And I kind of tend to agree with you, Neil. When, when this story broke, I did not know that. And right. I had, and, and again, when the pudgy story breaks, the media is not doing a particularly good job, never has yes. for the whole thing of explaining this thing out. And all you heard was Kyle seen with white supremacists. It, but keep, you know, it, you don't have any news or evidence, evidence to the contrary. So you end up kind of buying it for a while. Especially if you're already emotionally invested in the situation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I kind of bought into it for a while there because I didn't have any evidence to the contrary. And then I started investigating a little bit more. And most importantly, and this is what everybody is not doing, um, I started looking at how this could have happened to a normal human being. He's 17 years old. Uh, he's he's had a few beers down him. And, right. you know, if you ever watch like DUI uh people getting pulled over you got you know state representatives getting pulled over and doing absolutely the stupidest thing well they've had a few beers down and and i would not expect kyle to necessarily um, be real real aware of the optics involved um at that time even if this was you know nefarious he's he's had a few and he's and like like you said 17 year olds he's got some guys coming in and they're saying because I, I don't know doubt that somebody made a phone call hey you won't believe who's at pudgies it's Kyle rittenhouse get on down here man and, and they all got in their cars drove down because they're gonna take selfies he's a he's a celebrity and you know and he's also a celebrity they think is aligned to their kind of way of thinking so i don't doubt that they piled in there and they came across a seven-year-old kid who's slightly drunk and 
saying to him, I, I even though I have no evidence of that even now, at that time I took it as face value. They must have saying to him. I don't now I have to, I have to ask, did that even happen? I don't know. Well, you know, to be brutally blunt, you know, and I, I talked to Lynn Wood about this when he was on my show, was it the same even if he was a full on right wing, you know, card carrying member of the Aryan nation, that doesn't change the fact that he was attacked, you know, and he right. responded. You know, he could be a racist. Being a racist isn't against the law. It's morally apprehensible, but that doesn't mean that you certainly suddenly lose the ability to defend yourself. And when I discuss situations like this, particularly with the extreme left, like the Antifa types, they say fascists don't get a right to self-defense. Fascists don't get a right to speak. But their definition of what a fascist is keeps getting bigger and bigger and more and more inclusive. Go. That's mm -hmm. why I compared it like, you know, I said this earlier to you. And I'll repeat it now since, you know, we're, we're going on broadcast was this situation, because I studied religious persecution as part of one of my hobbies, um, it reminds me of a religion that is on a crusade, that is conducting an inquisition to, you know, that holds witch hunts to find heretics, to label blasphemers, to be excommunicated. And that's only if they can't commit violence against you, because they will if they can get away with it. You know, and, you know, when they talk about things like community justice, because I've lived in the South and the North, the first image that popped in my head when they say defund the police or abolish the police, we're going to have community justice is what it looked like when that happened down South. And it wasn't pleasant, you know. But anyway, um, don't want to get too far off track. But th the point is, is that, you know, so many people are just not thinking about what they're looking at. And they're trying to figure out how best to make this work for their tribe. Like, if you look at my image, you'll see, you know, the guy from V for Vendetta has beheaded an elephant and a donkey. And that's him beheading the two tribes and trying to make people think for themselves again. And people don't want you to think. You know, they, they want you to do exactly as they want you to do. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll just give you an example of just how how badly this has gone off course, just like you mentioned. But they are treating uh, Kyle's... in let's say association or chance meeting with the Proud Boys is a violation of a bail agreement. And, and that's the, what the prosecution has been maintaining. Even during the bail hearings, the ones where he was, you know, supposedly had uh, flown the coop as uh, Binger said, um, he kept mentioning that Kyle has flaunted the law and has violated the bail agreement numerous times because he met with some Proud Boys, which was never a part of the bail agreement in the first place, but they are treating it as a violation. So ultimately, um, that's how deeply entrenched this idea is, is that by associating with the wrong people, you're breaking the law. That's how they feel about it. And people believed him, the prosecutor on that. Yeah, yeah, he, he's... Um, and the judge, but well, the judge did. The judge looked at that and said, "You have got to be kidding me." He didn't say anything, but the judge knows very well that the only violation that he has in front of him is possibly uh, something to do with his address. But he just let Binger say it. But the judge wasn't fooled. I mean, uh, but yeah, that's how badly, and people on on internet on social media are treating like meeting with Proud Boys was. Well, why don't they throw him back in jail then? 
<laughs> I don't understand why he's not being thrown in jail. He, he, you could see him. Look, he's doing a symbol. He's doing a symbol. He's not being thrown in jail. That's how deeply this thing entrenched. Freedom of expression? No, they don't believe in it. They absolutely do not believe in the First Amendment. And just, uh, if I may, like you before said with the Antifa, that they are kind of moving the goalpost and that they think, for example, they can attack people, etc., etc. Um, basically, when when what you when you boil it down to, it's uh, our way of thinking is the right way, and any other is wrong, and it's literally the, the definition of extremism. And what makes me quite both sad and worried is that we in Europe tried that many times and every single time it ended up in hundreds of thousands or million millions of people that every single time right that's you know it i don't think <laughs> it's funny is that basically um i'm the i'm the de democratic socialist on the call who's going to identify that there is a communist agenda going on and the reason i know it is that i walk in those circles and they openly admit it you know, they, they don't even make any bones about it. And they're slowly becoming more and more, you know, clear about it. And it's like, you know, and it's, you know, I don't want to go too far into that rabbit hole, but just to say that, no, it's not a conspiracy theory. I got screenshots I can show you of them openly saying that that's what they're doing, yeah. you know, and it's, they, I am not opposed. Like the funny thing is I don't even hate communists. That's not what bothers me. What bothers me is the kind of communists that I'm talking to are people who make excuses for people like Joseph Stalin or make excuses oh for people like Chairman Mao. Like there's a, a video that just got released of like a, a Black Lives Matter founder glowing about this book because it reminded her of Mao's red book, which was the book that was used in the Cultural Revolution when Mao was trying to kill all of his political opponents. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you just kind of showed your hand, didn't you? You know, um, and there's there are people who can work together like collectively towards mutual benefit to try to make a better life. And then there's people who need to kill everybody who doesn't believe the way they do so, because they think that's a requirement to get everybody to work together. And it doesn't work. you know. And that that's the part that I'd like, there are people I wish I could talk to about that because unfortunately now, if you talk about, well, hey, why don't we just share our resources? Then immediately you conjure images of Chairman Mao slaughtering a million people. And you know, it was like, that's not what killed everybody. It was this ridiculous, over intense, like, well, you're the enemy, so therefore you're gone. You know, like, um, but anyway, um, getting back to the main topic. Yeah, there are people who have that, and anarchists in particular. When we talk about Antifa, when I was at Occupy, it, that was during the time period that people weren't pretending that Antifa doesn't exist. Like, if you go back, like, when I did my uh, documentary, uh, Insurrection, Hindsight is Always 2020, I went back to articles about Antifa from left-leaning websites openly talking about Antifa, interviewing people who identified themselves as members of Antifa. This is like 2015, 2016. You read articles from those same publications now, Antifa doesn't exist. It's just an idea. It doesn't have an organization. And I'm like, no, we know those people because they would march behind us at Occupy and break shit, and then we would get in trouble for it as Occupy. Pardon me. I don't know if you... <laughs> You use profanity on your show or not? I'll I'll chill. But the, I mean, you can always edit it out if you want. Okay, so. <laughs> right. Okay, I'll just avoid it. But the point is, is that yeah, I know who those they are. And when you would bring up their anarcho-communists, you get laugh reacts. Like everybody just loves to spam that laugh button on Facebook. And I'm like, how do you guys not know this? You know. And so I went to an anarchist forum, and I said, 
what's the deal with everybody forgetting that Antifa is anarcho-communist? And they openly told me, well, we tell them now that everybody's Antifa because we're trying to get them to be friendly with us so that we could expose them to the more extre extreme ideas. You know, like the, it's like a cult. They tell you the easy to digest stuff first, and then they don't tell you the crazy stuff until later. You know, and the same thing, unfortunately, goes on in Black Lives Matter. You know, you start off with a really, you know, bright kid, but, you know, good activist, you know, and who just really wants to make life better for black people. Nothing wrong with that. And then eventually you start hearing, like, I, I remember a girl that I worked with. She started off, you know, bright and cheery college girl. And then in the time that I knew her, about a year later, she was telling me that um, she didn't want to have children because she was white. Um, or if she did have children, it would be only with a black guy. And I was like, what the hell happened to you? You know, but, you know, because they've been, but she would have, if you, if they had said that to her a year ago, if they had introduced those ideas a year ago, she'd been like, that's crazy. You know, so there's a radicalization process that takes place. And there's also, when you peel away the layers, a black supremacist element to it. Um, things, I fringe ideas that would normally never be seen. And people just kind of wave that off. I'm like, but these are organizers. Like the organizer for Ontario, um, I have a screenshot of one of her posts just basically saying that white people are subhuman um, degenerates and that melanin makes black people, it, it's like the master race only for another race. You know, and it, those Nobody people- Nobody's sensitive to that, by the way. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. So, it's black supremacism. Well, right. And mm -hmm. But you can't, because they've changed the narrative in such a way that you can't say that because they try to claim that the definition is power plus prejudice. And if you don't have power, you can't be racist. But if you look up the definition of racism, it's very clear. Racism is a belief that certain people have certain characteristics based on their race. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with the power. And I, I did a video about that, too. I just said, you can believe that if I flap my arms hard enough, I'm going to fly. That doesn't give me the power to fly. It doesn't change the fact that I believe it. You can make an argument that more powerful racists are more dangerous, but it doesn't change the fact that powerless racists are still racist. Yeah. Well, I think that underlying all of this is just this human capacity to do cruel things to people. And I think that they have that desire. Unfortunately, the whole definition of racism was a problem for them because right. they want to act cruelly towards people based on race, but they can't because that would make them racist. So they just changed the definition. Sure. And right. so now, well, I can't be racist. Only you can be racist. And that gives me the freedom to treat you any way I want. And I cannot be criticized for it. And that's where they're going with it. And if you uh, try to criticize them, then that means you're racist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's it, we're seeing the ugly side of what happens when you have a a sort of a political genocide because we've been spending so much time talking about Hitler and his genocide based on you know religion and a lot of the other things he did and we completely ignored Stalin and Stalin's genocide was what Pol political ideology and so even the thought that, that you might have opposing thoughts to his um, doctrine you were taken down into the cellar and right and a lot of people don't realize that the man who has actually personally killed more people in history was Stalin's executioner. It right. wasn't anybody with the Gestapo or anything like that. 
And where do they get these people? They didn't raid the, the mental institutions for these guards and all these people. These are normal people. But the political, political ideology can make you do some horrendous things to people. And we saw that in, this, in the Spanish Civil War, where you, it, it's just amazing how much butchery you can do against somebody if you feel that they are trying to undermine you socially or culturally. You know, what's ironic about the Spanish Civil War is that that was Stalin and Hitler working together to kill anarcho-communists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the Spanish were anarcho-communists at the time. So literally the people that Antifa, you know, claims to want to basically represent, at least if you go to their private stuff, you know, um, were being murdered by Stalin and Hitler working together. Mm -hmm. uh, um Go, I, Paul. Did you want to say something? Yeah, sorry. Uh, kind of new to this concept there. Yeah. Uh, just uh, would like to clarify when I said I'm uh, quite sensitive to the things. Uh, it had an, has not anything to do with uh, black people. Uh, it was just that someone views someone as subhuman because that we Slavic people had it, you know, like from uh, the Nazis when we were occupied, we were yep. viewed as intervention, literally subhuman, uh, to be worked to death as slaves, and the rest, you know, like shipped Iberia. And so that's that's one. Uh, I'm quite sensitive to that because we lost uh, over five percent of our population, and I like to that. So, yeah, uh, that's the first. And yeah, uh, yeah, with the also with the comics and stuff like that. And I'm sorry, with the regular people basically doing terrible things. Um, I don't know if you follow the channel World War Two on YouTube. They make. Um, Basically, World War II in a real time, how it happened week by week, and they have sub-series War Against Humanity, where they go into basically the war, war, the crimes against humanity from all the sides, both allies and and the axis. And one of the things they were mentioning specifically that stand out that, for example, the executioners, literally the people that were uh, shooting Jews from the Nazis, uh, and those were, they were shooting both uh, men, women, and kids, literal babies. They were uh, burying them alive sometimes. That the guys needed to get completely loaded. They needed to get a drunk high on drugs because they could not do it sober. But they were still believing it's for the greater good. So basically, if regular people can lie to themselves to such a degree that you can kill a baby, you always, every one of us has this capacity to lie to ourselves and we cannot basically judge if we are good people based on us, our motivations, but based on our methods. Right. And, you know, something I want to pop in here real quick because I would offer it to the two of you and also to anybody listening. The one way that I've managed to back people into a corner about this issue of racism and its definition oh, is to ask them. It. Um, I'll pause here right after I'm done. Yeah, um, take note, Paul. We might need right. this. Yep. Um, okay, so let's say we go with this theory that racism requires prejudice plus power. At what point did the Nazi regime become racist then? Because they started off with no power. In fact, the Nazi party was a joke politically, and they failed in everything they did in the beginning. So they weren't racist yet, even though Adolf Hitler was writing Mein Kampf from a prison cell because he certainly wasn't in power at the time, you know, so is there a moment 
you know, because when you ask them that, they, they stop for a second because they don't want to spit out the words, well, they weren't racist until, because that's asinine. And they know it is. You know, they, they don't want to ever confront the idea that there could have ever been a point that the Nazi party wasn't racist. So when you push them on that and say, so what's the turning point? Can you give me the date? Was, was it only when Hitler won the election or was it only when he was putting people on cars, you know, tra you know, train cars to be executed? At what point? Because I can give there's video of a, a professor named Kami Kambaun or something like that who went on C-SPAN and said that the one idea, the final solution is that they should exterminate white people. And I've been told that that man can't be racist. So when does he become racist? Is it when he gets the power to do those things? Or is it when, you know, or is, you know, is it, or is it now? Because Antifa walks up and beats people up because they might become powerful. You know, so if you follow the strategies that they're supposed to be employing is we have to stamp out fascism, you know, before it gets root. That's what they supposedly claim. But when you show them videos of black supremacists suggesting that they should exterminate white people, you get told, no, 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 not them. <laughs> so go ahead. I'm sorry. No. I, 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 I just... Uh... Quick one, uh, basically with the racism and the definition of how they move the goalpost. I, this is not mine, uh, but I read excellent comment on this. It was basically this logic that uh, racism requires power in order to be basically racism. Is if you would have taken uh, the grand visit of KKK, you would basically strip him all, all, all of his money, passport, etc. And you would drop him in the middle of Africa. That it would cure him of racism by, by that logic. He would not be racist, you know. Could, could not right. be because he is yeah, completely powerless point. in that position. I, you know what? I'm going to do a dumb argument uh, coming up on, mm. you know, it, it wouldn't be the Kyle Rittenhouse dumb argument, but I have this other bad logic series. I think what you guys have offered there is, is gold because I've been trying to uh, counter that. It, it, it's, a, it's an argument so silly on the face of it, it's hard to understand how to respond. I mean, it's like, what do you, I mean, when somebody says something like that, you know, a person yeah. in a wheelchair goes into a store and the owner of, who owns the store is black and he throws the guy out because he's white. Well, he's not coming from a position of power. Well, it's his store. He does have the power. He can throw people out for almost any reason, not that one. And so where is the power play here? Well, that's different. So... Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to do a, 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 another video on this because uh, this is good. <laughs> okay. Well, happily also, feel free to up, re-upload anything of mine. I don't make any money on my channel, but you know, um, I'll share my video with you um, because I break it down by looking at the actual definition and you know, and take you through it because it just it just doesn't make any sense on its face. Now, Paul, I know you wanted to say something, so go ahead. I just also with the racism. I forgot to add one thing uh literally if you either google it or uh check it on wikipedia racism is literally defined as uh basically hate etc violence blah 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 all that uh based on race or uh ethnicity because mm -hmm. if uh, we would have basically the nazi regime where uh well trying to exterminate us you know like other white people how do you call it if not racism you know what i mean right so yeah just that <laughs> Well, then they'll sell you something like, well, it's only prejudice. Oh, okay, so prejudice is okay now? <laughs> yeah, that, that's like one of the, 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 the basically the key points of 
racism, you know, like the prejudice, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, right. And when you look up the definition, <laughs> yeah. it does say or prejudice is also racism. So it doesn't even. There you go. Anyway, yeah. you know, um... <laughs> by the way, I'm under no um, illusions that when you present these arguments, you know, they're going to come back and say, you know, what, you got a good point there. Wow. I, I had thought of that. Nope, not going to happen. That's the last time you'll hear from them. They'll probably block you at that point. But at least you score oh, yeah. something. I think I reach about one out of a hundred. You can reach people. It does happen. Like I was discussing a separate issue once with somebody because um, this is about the stuff going on in Israel. And I just said, well, I don't approve of Hamas's tactics. And they're like, well, why? I said, okay, let me propose a solution, a suggestion, like a, a scenario to you. Now, during World War II, we rounded up all the Japanese and stuck them in concentration camps. Not really very different necessarily than what you see going on right now. Now, if you feel that, like, if the Japanese people got together and started lobbing primitive rockets at population centers in the United States, would that have improved the situation or made it worse? And the guy just stopped talking for a second because he realized, no, that really wouldn't help. Um, you know, and it doesn't mean that I approve of what's going on over there. And I don't want to drag us into that rabbit hole, but it's the same concept. It's, don't do that. <laughs> is that going to work? You know, it doesn't work. And that's one of the reasons why this motivates me is that the funny thing is, is that my problem is, is I marched for civil rights with Occupy. These people are undoing good work. You know, and I, I talked to the head of the Nazi party because he actually has a blog talk radio show and he just lets people call in. And I asked him, how do you guys feel about this? Like, this is great. You know, we're getting so many more recruits now because they're doing this stuff. You know, the KKK reports the same thing. You know, like, I remember watching a video about the KKK during the Obama administration where they were so pathetic that they were like, you know, we're kind of contemplating taking racism out of our platform and maybe even letting people of color join now. And it's because they have meetings with like <laughs> wow. 10, they have meetings with like half a dozen people in them and they try to maintain that there's some kind of formidable organization. So then when this stuff all happens, like, I kind of identify it as that there's a primitive part of our brains that activates when you do something that targets a group, it's like a tribalist part of your brain. And then you immediately find yourself immediately rising up to defend your group. And you could feel it in the back of your head when you see people start targeting entire groups of people, especially if you could identify as one of them. So then you do that and that encourages the other side to do the exact same thing. You know, I don't know if you guys know anybody, anything about Daryl Davis, but um, he's a man who actively goes out into Ku Klux Klan meetings, and he's a black guy, and he rescues people from the Ku Klux Klan as a black man. And he does it by humanizing black people to these guys. And we're not just talking about regular members. He's brought national leaders of the KKK out of that cult. And that's what it's like. You're rescuing people from a cult. You know, when he went and met with Black Lives Matter, they threatened him and told him never to come back to, well, I want to say it was Baltimore, because why are you talking to them for? We don't want to talk to them. You know, it's like, so if, if their goal was to get bring racists back, they're not succeeding. They're making more racists. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, I just want to. Oh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I just uh, saw your hand up. No. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> the concept of a woke KKK would have been mind boggling. Right. <laughs> go ahead, Paul. Yeah, uh, sorry, like a wee bit of a technical difficulties. I don't know if uh, our viewers know I'm currently on a holiday in Airbnb. The Wi-Fi is pretty good, but I think the geographical like distance still and you know, uh, hidden that makes problems. Um, it just uh, as you said, 
the, the, the Black Lives Matter told him that they don't want to talk to the extreme opposition and that is beyond stupid because that's precisely the people you want to talk to, the people you absolutely disagree with because like people of any political orientation basically agree on 99.9% of things. They differ on the 0.1%, but they quite often because of misunderstandings, misinformation, etc., believe they don't agree on basically anything. And it's simply not true. And again, that then leads into uh, to extremism because you are exposed only to your thought bubble and it's basically adding on, adding on, you are being pushed more to the left, more to the right, etc. Yeah, I, I have a, my dad always told me, he said, get to know your enemies well because you're probably just like them. And it, in this case here, those who lash out against the fascist state and, and fascism engage in the same kind of behaviors. Right. Well, yeah, if they're going to do things like engage in censorship, well, this is good censorship. This is my censorship. You know, my censorship is good because I'm right and you're not. Like, I actually drew up a meme that I caught huge flack for, but it was a, it was a picture of Nazis burning books. And I said censoring social media in the name of protecting people from dangerous ideas and national security and nobody <laughs> liked that they're like false equivalency i'm like nope nope Ew. you're doing the same thing you just think that you're you know because you're the good guys it's not the same thing for you you know and it's just when you talked about uh we, we talked about this a little bit earlier is that people now are so emotional they're they're so tribal that you can show them facts and if those facts do not go along with what is best for their tribe, then, you know, then they don't want anybody to talk about it. You know, and if, if you do, then you're the enemy. You know, it was like, um, like I mentioned off the air earlier, it was like when I did my video about insurrection, I used videos of the riots in D.C. and compared them to the riots that have been going on all summer. And I said, you guys are in a team sport now. And the analogy I used was like when you were a kid playing volleyball in gym class, your team might score a point and you might know that the ball was actually out, but you're not going to say anything because your team is winning, even if it's wrong. And that's how people treat the news now. If somebody puts out false information about Kyle Rittenhouse, then they will jump all over that, you know, and they'll say, no, no, our sources are right. Your sources are wrong. Now, both sides do this. It just so happens that whoever it is who pulls the strings on stuff like this, and I felt this way even at Occupy because... Occupy was a unified, diverse group of people that worked well together until critical race theory showed up and until all the gender stuff showed up. And you could see the dramatic difference because I was part of Occupy Detroit and Occupy Flint. Occupy Detroit had woke stuff. Occupy Flint did not. Occupy Flint was way more productive. We get way more stuff done. We didn't spend all of our time analyzing, well, did the white guy in the room talk too much or do we need to be sure that everybody else talks more? You know, and meanwhile, at Occupy Detroit, they'd have to have meetings about who would be allowed to talk, you know, and then it would just it would gum everything up and it would alienate a bunch of people. And I'm like, I'm thinking back. I'm like, you know, if I was somebody who wanted Occupy Wall Street to fail, this would be the perfect way to go about doing it. You know, let me just introduce this idea to divide them up by their race, their gender, their, you know, sexual orientation, identity. And, you know, and that's what they did. And uh, Occupy just kind of fell apart, um, you know, and anyway. Um, as far as how it pertains to the Rittenhouse stuff, it goes back to why, you know, I was, I was analyzing what was going on, what the fight was about. 
And what it was about was that that armed group of militia showed up and was interfering with their arson. Like, I, I would kind of put it all back to the original video of Joseph Rosenbaum pushing a, you know, a dumpster fire. You know, they got defensive about their dumpster fire. And one of the guys, and they're pushing the dumpster fire to a gas station, you know, and they, so somebody came up and put out the fire. And then if you watch the exchange that happens immediately following them putting out that fire, yep. you would think that one of them walked up and smacked one of the other ones in the face. That's the uproar that it caused and the threats and the posturing, you know, like because somebody was interfering with their arson, you know, and people say, well, that's not what was going on. I'm like, you know what happened to the car source after all that was over? After they got done spashing all the cars, they burned down another business because they were systematically going business by business and burning them down in Kenosha. You know, and we're told that that's not the objective. And I believe them. You know, somebody, they bring up that video, that statistic, 93% of all protests were peaceful. Yep. And I said, well, interesting you point that out because statistics also show that 97% of riots involved Black Lives Matter. So, um, so yeah, you're right. It didn't happen all the time, but when it did happen, it usually involved Black Lives Matter, you know. Um, and so, again, you know, we were discussing like police and all that. Like, if you take a montage of only what you want people to see long enough, you can create a national fervor, and that's why people don't like cops because we're only looking at all these videos where people are seeing what a bad shooting looks like, and that's why, like, when we're off the air, I recommended the channel Police Activity, because they show you great footage of good and bad shootings, and then you get a grasp of what the cops go through. There are so many people talking about this stuff who have no idea what it's like. You know, I remember I used to work at a 24-hour gas station, and the cops would come in all the time because they're bored, you know, and I asked him, so why are you guys so tense when we pull people over? He's like, because statistically, that's when most of us get killed, because it's so easy to just reach in and, and shoot somebody you know, out of your car. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. that made a lot of sense. So I was like, so when somebody is belligerent, the moment you walk up to them, that probably, yeah, that sends me signals that this is the kind of guy who's going to shoot me. I was like, oh, so now when I get pulled over, I make sure I smile and I'm nice as can be. Not because I'm just trying to kiss his ass, but I'm trying to disarm him so that he understands, no, I don't mean to hurt you. What can I do for you? And it changes the whole energy of the encounter. But nobody, it's, there's an effort to dehumanize the police, not just defund, dehumanize. They, they'll have you believe that they're all just like stormtroopers. You know, they, they're all Gestapo. Stop and talk to a cop sometime. Yeah, and, and that they're out there to try to find a reason to hurt you. Right. Uh, you know, like they're really wanting to kill you and they're just looking for an excuse. Well, the guy's been on, this, on the uh, force for like, what, eight years now? And like... I'm sure that if he had wanted to, he would have probably had done it by now. It's, you know, they, they forget that, you know, cops have bad days. Uh, they're sometimes in a bad mood. Um, and if you're getting pulled over, you just have to take that into account. You're dealing with a human being, you know, and uh, a perfect example, there's numerous examples, um, but the Sandra Bland uh, pullover down in Texas, where the cop was clearly agitated. It, in my opinion, he went, he was being unprofessional, being kind of a jerk. She did not understand that. And instead, 
did exactly what you should not do, and that is tried and antagonized him further. And look what happened. And now, keep in mind, people are saying, "Well, the police killed her." No, she committed suicide. There's no doubt about it. But there's an example of where you know you have to take into account that the guy on the other side, he may not be in good spirits, and don't do anything that's going to get you, you know, hurt. But well, look at it from the perspective of the other guy. You know, if he's gonna not, if he's gonna survive, if this encounter is gonna go bad, and police activity will show you what that looks like then it goes bad very fast. So if they're going to live, they got to be able to go quick. And if you're giving them the wrong signals, what do you think is going to come out of that? Go ahead, Paul. I saw you raise your finger. Yeah, thanks. Uh, just uh, I, I'm on, I will be a bit behind. Just wanted to say the, um, uh, the statistic that you mentioned that 93% of all the BLM protests were peaceful. That is a clear example of how media or government or whoever manipulates with the facts or basically manipulates with the people because the statistic was I think to 5,000 protests or something like that. But right. I, I forgot the precise number. But uh, when I made the math, it was over 500 violent protests slash riots which made it over one a day, literally. So that's pretty bad, in my opinion, that, you know, like in basically somewhere in a small town, who, who cares who, you know, like they had a BLM gathering and nothing happened there. Okay, nice. But when you would take, for example, Portland or, uh, is it Portland? No, what's the, in, or Seattle yeah. or other, you know, like, yeah, other, uh, other problematic city. Yeah, that's a big problem. And I just want to make it very clear, I have no place to talk whatsoever about racism or anything like that in the United States. Not my place, never been there, no experience. I would just like to add that if you truly believe, especially black people, if you truly believe that uh, police are there out to get you, logically speaking, your best bet is to simply sit, you know, like for example, when you get pulled over, sit with your you know like uh, hands on the wheel etc because if it's true that they are looking for people basically for excuse to shoot you don't give it to them because in that case when you for example either agitated when you're you know like very hostile uh do for example i don't know reach somewhere basically try to i don't know even if you are afraid try to be as calm as possible because in that case you are literally if it would be true you are doing them favor you are giving them excuses to shoot you if that would be the case right i was in fear of my life well then why are you spending the next 15 minutes trying to irritate the hell out of a guy right because i'm sure cussing at him and spitting at him and you know or saying mean that's definitely going to make this end peacefully mm. but just but they don't uh you know it's like they're worried about abuses of authority i i have an associate of mine who's a black man who goes to these protests and i asked him what kind of people are you encountering at you know, like who say that they want to abolish the police and he said well i generally run into two different types of people either college kids who have no idea what crime looks like, who think that they know the ghetto because they might have driven through my neighborhood once to go to a club or a concert, you know, who've probably never been around gunshots unless they were at a firing range. He's like, they'd have no idea what they're talking about. They don't know anything about crime. They don't know anything about what it's like to live there. And then the other group of people that I encountered a lot of was criminals. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, the people that I know are criminals that I grew up with that I know are criminals. And then he and then he actually pointed out to me, he's like, you know, has it occurred to you that it's kind of ironic that in your Rittenhouse video, you take a random sampling of 
three people from that protest and they're all criminals. You know, so it, I was like, yeah, you know, Rosenbaum raped five boys between the ages of eight and 11 years old. Of course he wants to abolish the police. You know, Anthony Huber, you know, domestic violence charges. Of course he wants to abolish the police. You know, we could add Joshua Zeminski, three pages of a criminal history. Of course he wants to abolish the police. You know, that's why, like, um, in my history, I've been through different experiences. I was a libertarian at one time, and some of the libertarians are anarchists. And you ask them how their abolish the police strategy works. And I say to them, I'm like, you know, that might work if you were my neighbor. But I got a whole lot of people that I know that I would really rather not have as my neighbor if we didn't have any police. You know, it, it's it, it basically comes down to either naivete or people with an agenda who are looking at it from the perspective of, man, my life as a criminal is going to be so much easier if they underfund or abolish the police. You know, it's a total absence of understanding of what crime looks like. Like they think, for example, I actually did a show about this recently. The cartel, the Mexican cartel, the ones that literally rule Mexico like a drug dealing ISIS, beheading people that get in their way. They're, you know, they terrorize families, they murder politicians. Well, they're taking a new interest in Seattle, one of the cities that devoted the police. Imagine that. Why would they be more interested in that? What's going to happen to Seattle if the cartel rolls in there and takes control? Again, these people have no understanding of what crime looks like. And if they're worried about abuse of authority, if they're worried that they might get pulled over and maybe roughed up a little bit when they're getting a traffic ticket, when the cartel shows up to abduct your sister and force her into prostitution or to murder your father, you know, that you're going to see some real abuse of authority at that point, you know, and they don't ever have any good answer for it. I have another associate who's a Somali, his family, like half of his family, they fled Somalia. Well, if you want to know what no police looks like, it's rival warlords killing each other and posturing and fighting each other over power. Well, the Chaz Chop Zone gave us a little taste of it already. Or, oh, my God, at the George Floyd Memorial. Did you guys see the video? The, 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 uh, the um, journalists are recording their videos to commemorate George Floyd and police reform. And a gunfight opens up behind them. Oh, yeah, I seen that. I seen on that live TV. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was By like, the way, oh. go ahead. Um, when you were talking about these college-age kids who don't really understand, you know, uh, strife, real strife, was I the only one that had the song Holiday in Cambodia enter my mind? I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, I'm not, but I, oh, okay. I think I see where you're going, though. I'm sure that the um, some of the you know, the uh, audience will, will know what I'm talking about, but it's a song about um, a young, uh, basically sending kids into Cambodia, uh, and these people think that they are, like, enlightened, and they understand the suffering, but you haven't seen real suffering until we send you to Cambodia, right? It's like oh, no, absolutely. Or Burma, you know, like mm -hmm. where there's active genocides going on. When they use words like genocide to refer to police violence, I'm like, you don't know what, a, if that's a genocide, it's a very poorly run genocide because it's not killing a whole lot of people. But that's that comes back to what we were talking about, about the perspective that people have. When I yeah. looked up the statistics, you are literally more likely to die in a house fire, drown in a pool, or be, or die in childbirth than you are at the hands of police because police only kill on average 1,000 people a year out of 3,500,000 police interactions. Mm -hmm. So, it, but if you, if you it's listen to- It's kind of low though, the number. 
What's that? Uh, the, well, if you have a populace over uh, you know, 300 million, the, the basically the annual interaction between the police cannot be you know like just in three million da, 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 um, or three and a half million da, da, the number is kind of low now yeah, the I statistics that i was given i looked them up on fbi mm -hmm. websites I, I could go okay. back and try to source it for you later the point is is that out of the police interactions only about a thousand people die sure and, and even blm reported only 13 unarmed black people being killed last year and we of course we want that number to be as close to zero that's not my oh, yeah, problem absolutely. my problem is they're using words like genocide we are dying every day you know, we're being hunted down and killed in the streets. And it reminds me of um, uh, one of my friends is Peter Joseph. He makes certain activist films and he was bringing up the war on terror. And he said, just to kind of bring this into perspective so that you understand, the media would have you believe that terrorism is a really big problem when the truth is more people die from peanut allergies than die from terrorist acts. And he was just pointing out this kind of the knee jerk reaction of going to war to fight the war on terror was that people were being manipulated for political reasons into really fearing something so that they could justify some kind of sweeping change later. Then you get the Patriot Act. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and we, we're seeing it with the police here. For example, I, I have often heard a lot of people saying, you know, I had to have a talk with my son about the police. Oh, really? About what do you mean? Well, I have to let him know that the police, they, they pose as a viable threat to his life, and he has to understand how to interact with the police. And I always respond by saying, statistically, it's not the police that are going to shoot your son. It's going to be one of his friends. Right. 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 Well, well that guy I told you about, he, he had lost, meaning Rob, he lost two people. One of them was shot on his lawn during a drive-by shooting. And he's like, neither of them were killed by police. You know, one of them was killed in a gunfight at a club. Like, he lives in a really bad neighborhood. You know, and he's like, again... You know, the fact that they're so worried about the damn cops, he's like, I just, he's like, nobody wants to discuss what's going on. And I think part of the problem is, is that it gets framed as a racial conversation. The reality is I grew up there and the white kids were in the gangs, the Asian kids are in the gangs, the Hispanic kids are in the gangs. And you can go to another country. You could go to a country like, say, Hong Kong that has criminal sections that are terrible. There's no white people to blame that on. You know, mm -hmm. you can go to countries where there's only white people you know, like in England, they have crime-ridden areas. Not as many, but they definitely have them. You know, certain parts of the other parts of the world, you're going to run into crime. Russia has crime. You know, no, yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah, you know, a, a lot of it is that is that a white supremacy problem? That's why that's happening. No, you know, but they. This is the part that unfortunately the left, and I, I promise I'll shut up after this for a bit. Um, does not see the reason that they get humiliated by people like Ben Shapiro. And there's a great clip of watching Ben Shapiro tear Black Lives Matter apart. It was like they none of them want to face the fact that there is a criminal culture. And I'm going to put that in all capital letters, culture that infects those areas and it affects everybody who lives there. Um, like in more, you know, some more than others. Obviously, there are always exceptions, but that's what creates it venerates crime. It, you know, glorifies gang membership. When my little sister, who was younger than me growing up there, she made it clear she would never, uh, you know, like that she was trying to date gangsters because that's what's popular. If you have a culture that venerates crime and literally I got beat up for using big words, you know, like if you get good grades, they find out about it like that. You're a nerd. They would they would literally assault you for that. Well, what kind of people do you think are going to come out of that environment? No matter what color they are, do, do you think they're going to go to college? Do you think they're going to get a job? 
do, do you think that they're going to avoid crime? Of course not, because their heroes are rap artists who make up fictional stories about how they go down the street to shoot people for dissing them, and then they go out and do the same thing. They shoot people over nothing. It's not even just about poverty. They're not shooting people over food. They're shooting each other over their egos. It's a criminal culture that is essentially, it's almost like a warrior culture in some ways because they, they're, they're fighting for dominance. You know, and that if you don't deal with that, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at the problem. It's not going to go away. Yeah, it's street cred. Right, exactly. Right. There's a scene, by the way, going back to what I was talking about in terms of, you know, you're going to get shot by your friends. Right. Not going to be the police. In Goodfellas, and I don't know if you guys have watched this, uh, th that movie, but uh, the police descend on him and they were barking at commands, you know, freeze, mofo, you know, like, and he, what was his response was relief because he didn't recognize the voice. If he had recognized the voice as being one of his compadres, he'd be dead. Right. Because, and so, and that's exactly it. When you get pulled over by the cops, your chances of getting shot are extra, actually extremely low, extremely rare, because the cop has no real reason to want you dead. Your friends, they do have a reason. And so you always have to be more careful about the people you hang out with than strangers to a certain extent in those areas. You know, now my friends, you know, I, hopefully I could trust them. Uh, but in some of the areas that you're describing, you really have to be careful about the people that smile at you every day. You can't even walk down the street. Like, you want to talk about a group of people that are hunting another group of people to try to inflict violence on them? Go live in the ghetto, because that happens every day, you know, way more often. Those are people that are getting shot every day, you know, and you become desensitized to it. Like, I remember once I had a friend over, and he was from an affluent neighborhood. We were sitting down watching a video, and... Uh, I want to say like, it sounded like an AK-47 went off in the distance and he jumped like because he had, it wasn't that far, maybe six blocks away. I didn't even react because I'd lived there for years. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what the hell was that? I was like, it sounded like an AK-47. And I'm just casually watching TV. Boy. You know, there are people that's again, they have no idea what it's like to live there. They have these weird ideas in their head that if we just turned on some social workers and you know, got some more social programs, then all of this would go away. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you've never demonstrated that. Chaz Chop, George Floyd, no-go zone, both mm -hmm. became places where more crime happened. You know, and uh, apparently getting rid of the police didn't solve the problem. 